Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Our message is entitled, Adding Insult to Injury. Jesus has uh, entered the city of Jerusalem, as you know, as the king of the Jews in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. But the leaders of the nation did not receive their Messiah. Instead, they rejected him. Jesus has rejected the false king, Herod, in chapter 21 of Matthew, 1 through 11. Jesus rejected the false prophecies or the false priesthood by the cleansing of the temple in verse 12 of 17 of the previous chapter. Jesus rejected the unfaithful nation in verses 18 and 20 of the previous chapter. And Jesus rejected the false leaders in verse 23 to 27. False king, false priesthood, false temple, false nation, false leaders. Wow. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the same position because we have such a false representation of the church today. We have false teaching. We have false pastors. False seminaries. And it's like, I feel like Jeremiah sometimes. Sometimes you look to yourself and say, man, maybe I'm the one, wrong one. But I keep dropping the plumb line. And the plumb line is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Jesus just um, declared two parables directed against the religious leaders of Israel and the nation. Uh, back in chapter 21, again, verse 28 through 32, the parable of the two sons declared the rebellious uh, religious leaders. So um, they, they would not enter the kingdom of God. Yet tax collectors and harlots would because they would believe in Jesus Christ. This has offended them. Jesus spoke truth. People don't like it. Many people have left this church because they can't take the truth. They're like a river. The river meanders because they're looking for the softest soil, right? People have no backbone today. I'm sorry. Just the facts, Jack. Chapter 21, verse 33 to 44. The parable of the landowner accused the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees, of their persecution of the prophets. John the Baptist. And the last would be Jesus, the Son of God. The chief cornerstone that they would take and kill. The kingdom of God would be given to the Gentiles. Wow. This is what is the backdrop to the beginning of chapter 22. So now Jesus gives a third and final parable of the marriage feast of the king's son, revealing the Jews' uh, hard-hearted rejection of Jesus as their Messiah that unfolds for us in um, three movements. Um, let me um, go to our text here. I didn't bring it up, so let me pull it up here. Matthew, don't get old. All right, here we go. And Jesus answered and spoke to them against by the parable and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out uh, other servants, saying, um, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen fattened calf, and 
and are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them despitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed the murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highway and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there with, uh, who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how do you come into uh, here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now. This parable of the wedding of the king's son unfolds for us in three movements. In verse 1 through 7, we have the invitation to the nation of Israel. It was rejected. In verse 8 through 10, the invitation to the Gentiles would be accepted. And thirdly, 11 through 14, the invitation had a required standard. To be honored. Let's begin when the invitation to the nation of Israel was rejected. Verse 1 through 7. Verse 1 through 3, notice the high privilege of the nation is stated by Jesus. Always keep in mind, Jesus is declaring this parable. The context is one of animosity. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said. Jesus is still addressing the same individual, them. This points back to the chief priests and the Pharisees of chapter 21, verse 45. This is still Tuesday of the last week of the life of Jesus, Passion Week. Jesus has just finished declaring the parable of the two sons, as we've pointed out, and the landowner in chapter 21, 28 through 46. He told those of the Sanhedrin that they would not enter the kingdom of God, but tax collectors and harlots would enter in. Now, do you think they kind of like that? No. And people hear that I say, you cannot come to Jesus Christ. You cannot come to God unless through Jesus Christ. Mary cannot get you there. Works cannot get you there. People don't like that. They get offended. When you tell somebody, if you don't walk with God, and you, I don't care what you made an altar call, you don't walk with God, you're living in sin, you're not going to enter heaven. They don't like that. Hmm. He told them the kingdom of God would be taken from the nation of Israel and given to the na another nation. The Gentiles that would bring fruit unto God. Jesus says, listen carefully, Luke 13, 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Talking to the leaders, the nation. Just look with me back to Chapter 21, verse 45 and 46 and 45, it says, Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parables, plural, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hold on him, they feared the multitude because they took him as a prophet. They're people of convenience. They're very clever in their evil. 
They know how to assess things. The parabolic teaching of Jesus was used to illuminate and to bring truth, not to hide truth, as we've seen. The word parable, as we said, is made up of two words, para alongside, bully to throw. Parallel parking, paramedic, paralegal, all of that, alongside whatever the next word is. So parable is taking something you know, putting it next to what you don't know, and then knowing what you do know, you will know what you didn't know. Okay? It's a parallel. Parables do one of two things. They compare a contrast. This is a contrast. There's a punchline in every parable. The punchline in this one is verse 14. Now, the common phrase is stated from the introduction of the parable. Listen. The kingdom of heaven is like the certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Kingdom of Heaven, as we've seen, is unique of Matthew. It only appears in his uh, uh, scripture, in his uh, gospel, nowhere else. The phrase indicates God's rule over the earth, referring to the prophecies of the Old Testament from the first coming of the king to the earth till the second coming to set up the kingdom. Daniel 2.44 talked about it, 7.14 and also 27. It wasn't anything new. Remember, when Jesus is talking, when he's preaching, there's only the Old Testament. There's no New Testament, right? Okay? So we've got to keep that in mind. Now, the parable is introduced by the word like. Sometimes the word as is also used. It's called a simile, a figure of speech. It's in other words, an example. He, he ran fast as lightning. He's not lightning. There's a comparison. Okay? The tense um, we're told is the historic Eris here, did become like, spoken from the standpoint of the end of the world when the earthly history of the kingdom will be completed. In other words, this parable gives you the ongoing steady condition until the end of time. All right? Very important. Today there's a lot, well, you know, we're a little different today, so, you know, you can't preach the gospel the same way. Shut up. I look to the tribulation, great tribulation, it's the same gospel. I look to the first century church, the same gospel. I look to the dark ages, the same gospel. What all these submergent pastors teaching? A little different? Wow. It's not the gospel. The certain king is God, the father, very evident through the parable. The son is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The marriage arranged is of the believer to God's son, the Messiah. The bride is not mentioned because the focus is how the king and his son are treated wrong in the invitation. That's the focus. The emissaries were dispatched. Look at verse 3. And they sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Underline that. Not willing. God did not force them not to come. God did not predestine them not to come. They were not willing to come. The servant prophets of old spoke of the coming Messiah. They were aware of it. These servants are John the Baptist, the apostles, and who would go out and spread the gospel. 
um, after the resurrection of Jesus. The charge against them was they having been invited to the wedding feast and banquet. Listen, and they were not willing to come. The imperfect tense marks the sharp element of the will. You have a will. You chose to come to church this morning and not lay in bed like a slug. There's a choice that you made. God did not force you. The religious rulers and the nation of Israel did not regard the grace of God by the past or present invitation by God. We're going to see they make light of it. Look at verse 4. The time of the high privilege of the nation regarding the wedding had come. The second group of emissaries were also dispatched. And again, he sent other servants. The wedding usually lasted seven years. Uh, Here, the patience of God in his uh, repeated call of grace. Patient. God is patient. People, I mean, you know, um, people have a big mouth down here. And they're just so fortunate that God doesn't smoke them. I was very fortunate God didn't smoke me before I came to know the Lord. It's just grace, but we just push it. The servants are the ones to follow the the apostles and preaching to the Jews. Next generation. Just talking about the whole church age. Notice the urgency of the invitation is stated saying, Tell those who are invited, have... um, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. These have been invited, and they're told all preparations are in effect ready. The perfect tense, there is no time to delay. People today in the church are just kicking it. There seems to be no urgency about the evil day that we're living today. Hmm. The word dinner there means breakfast, literally. Later it came to be known as a regular dinner. All were to respond to the high privilege as a people in God's nation. God sent his son in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4, right on time. God's never been tardy for anything. Notice verse 5. The insult towards God's invitation is stated in reference to the first group. But they made light of it, and they went their way, one to his farm and the other to his business. The word light simply means to be careless, neglectful, showing disdain. The charge was of living by wrong priorities, giving greater importance and value and having more satisfaction in their personal comfort and leisure, going to his own farm, obtaining of wealth, another to his business. Priorities. What are your priorities as a Christian? When I came to the Lord, I used to do all kinds of things before. When I came to the Lord, I cut out a lot of things. My priorities changed. Nothing wrong with some of the things I did, but because who I was and what I was doing, what God called me to do, they didn't have value anymore. They didn't have importance. You understand? I was all into sports and everything else. After that, I did whatever it was. And people asked me, well, about the team. I don't know the teams anymore. I don't even know. 
doesn't matter to me. Now, that doesn't mean to put a guilt on you if you're a sports and you follow and all that. But I'm saying you have to live by priorities of what is valuable, where you are in your life. As a young single, as a young married couple, as a, a father and mother raising your children, as a grandparents, as great grandpa, what are the priorities that you live by? If God is not first, you're dead. It's just a matter of time. You will get yourself in trouble. The church should be packed out every day of the week. People have wrong priorities. Every church in Pasadena, there's not enough churches to fill all the people in Pasadena. They don't make it a priority. But I tell you what, they never miss a game, a basketball game, or anything else that they're into. Wow. Look at 6. The hateful rebellion against God is stated by the second group. And the rest sees the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. The leaders and Jews would treat the servants of the gospel spitefully, with insolence and shamefully. That's the history of the Old Testament, the history of the church also. The evidence is in the book of Acts. Look at 7. The response of God towards the nation is stated. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. The word furious means to be provoked or aroused to anger, but must never be interpreted as human sinful passion, but rather the execution of his justice. This is God. God doesn't get ticked off. God executes justice. All right? I get mad, I'll hit you in the mouth. I lose my temper. God's in control. When he deals with people, it's because they deserve it. Are we clear on this? The grace and patience of God will not be insulted forever, but it comes to an end to every person and nation, ladies and gentlemen. His anger is justified by the high privilege given to the nation for 2,000 years. The pouring out of God's wrath was prophetic of the judgment over Jerusalem, the murderers and the religious rulers and the people and the nation. 70 A.D., Titus came in, executed judgment. You know, Israel was like a, a wayward wife who spurns the forgiving love of her husband, adding to her own hurt. Exact same thing. In fact, Hosea is a perfect example calling his wife Gomer back after adultery. God warned the northern kingdom of Israel to repent from their idolatry, but they refused to do so, as you know. The prophet Ahijah, remember, met Jeroboam as he was coming out of Jerusalem, and he had a new garment. He tore it in 12 pieces, and he gave him 10, and he said, I'll give David two. Now, if you, if you're obedient to me, Jeroboam, I will make a kingdom like the kingdom of David. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 29 through 40. I will make it like that. But Jeroboam got freaked out. In the same, the next chapter of 1 Kings 12, 25 through 33, he said, well, you know, all these guys, they, they, they're going to go back to the house of David for the feast, and they're going to they're gonna win the hearts of them back, and I'm going to be left without a kingdom. And so he made a, a worship center in Bethel and in Dan, and he set up the calf worship, put false priesthood, false gods, 
and false feast days. We'll never know how God would have done it because he didn't trust God. Did it affect the ultimate prophetic picture of God? Nope. Did it mess him up? Yep. Did it mess a lot of people up? Yep. Ten tribes. Wow. The northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity in 722 to Assyria. 1 Kings 13, 1 through 3, it says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar and burnt incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord Yahweh, saying, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David. And on you, you shall, he shall sacrifice the priests in the high places that burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign in the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. First Kings 13, 1-3. The prophecy was fulfilled in the reform of Josiah 320 years before he was born. He was called out by name Cyrus, 150 years before his birth also. Amazing. God's prophetic order. God's constant chasing of Israel. God warned the southern kingdom, as you know, Judah, for her idolatry, but she refused to hear also. So the prophet Isaiah warned them continually 700 years before. Then Jeremiah came boldly. He was accused of being a traitor. He was thrown in jail. Um, and, and, and Judah went into captivity. Three sieges by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, right? 606, 596, and 586. They don't listen, right? They keep pushing. They keep pressing the boundaries. Jeremiah 26, 4 through 5 says, And the Lord has sent me to you, all of his servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Uh, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, to heed the words of my servants and prophets whom I sent to you, but rising up early and sending them. But you have not heeded. Nothing new. We have the same today. So God brought the final judgment over the nation of Israel by Titus in 70 A.D. The city was surrounded by Rome, starved the people. The people were massacred and sold to slavery. The temple was set on fire, and not one stone was left upon another so they can scrape the gold from it. As some of you saw when we were in Israel, right there on the Cheesemaker Valley, though all the stones are piled up. If you go up the stairs to the cafeteria on the right-hand side, you'll see the picture. Very same stones the Titus soldiers sold down. 132, the land was salted. Renamed to Palestinia, according to the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, as an insult. That's where you get Palestine. For 2,000 years, Israel was without a homeland until May 14, 1948. And um, this was through the Zionist movement of Herzl. God will bring one final judgment to Israel by the hand of the Antichrist. The nation will make a seven-year covenant with the Antichrist, Daniel 9, 27. The Antichrist will build the Jewish temple, entering, declare himself God, demand that everybody worship him, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the two, two of three Jews will die at the hand of the Antichrist, Zechariah 13, 8. Hitler will, be, will seem like a Girl Scout compared to the Antichrist. The remnant of Israel will be saved at the end of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, Romans eleven twenty six, 
Listen to the words of Jesus. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 38 through 39. We're not there yet, but he's going to say that. Gives them up. The invitation to the nation of Israel was uh, rejected, bringing judgment on all. Secondly, look at the invitation to the Gentiles. It would be accepted. There's a contrast. Verse 8 through 10. In 8, the transition of the nation of Israel would be to the Gentile world uh, to, who would believe Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of the world. The proclamation of judgment, notice in verse 8, by the king was declared um, as a settled verdict. The urgency of the wedding is stated. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. The servants again refer to the ones at the time proclaiming the gospel. You can include John the Baptist, the apostles, so on and so forth. The believers and apostles would continue and then those that would come after him. The wedding takes place at the rapture of the church. When the Lord removes the church, we go to heaven. We're married in heaven. The honeymoon's when we get back for a thousand years. Okay? The be the seat of Christ, the reward is the wedding, honeymoon in a thousand years. The disdain and dishonor, dishonorable acts here of their high privilege. Look at verse 8 there still. The Jews were given in arrogant insolence. They were just, they, they were unnatural. It says, but those who were invited were not worthy. They disdained and dishonored their high privilege. Having been invited, underline that, the perfect middle voice, the individuals were not worthy, meaning of equal weight, not in the lack of some personal merit. The idea is that their lack of response and rejection to their high privilege was not corresponding or fitting to the invitation. Wow. They slapped God both ways. Look at nine. The proclamation for the transition of the Jews and nation by the king was ordered. The geographical location is stated. Therefore, go into the highways. The imperative present middle here is be going. A durative present tense. Keep on going till the wedding is prov uh, provided with guests. The word for highway is a way out through or an outlet or exit. The exodus, exodus, out, okay? The, place, the places before the city were the roads from the country um, were terminated. Therefore, outlets of the country highways to the entrance of the city also. This focuses on still the Gentiles here in con uh, contrast to the Jew, but the individual Jew is not excluded, even though now the transition is to the Gentile, because the book of Ephesians is Jew and Gentile one, right? Scythian, barbarian, male, female, bond, free, doesn't matter, okay? Now, look at the numerical stipulation is also stated. And as many as you find, the word many means all they can find, whosoever, there is no limitation all are invited jew or gentile 
According to the promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Spiritually, salvation. The Gentiles were always included. They were not plan B. The word invite is kaleo. It means to call aloud, an imperative command. It's not a suggestion. The event is the wedding. The marriage feast, the banquets included in all this. This comes through the preaching of the gospel and the individual as they repent to be the bride of Christ, a chaste virgin, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.2. Notice the command of the king was carried out as ordered um, prophetic here. Verse 10. The emissaries were dispatched so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found. The servants once again going out to gather all as they went out into the highways are the apostles and those throughout the church age. Uh, the Great Commission is the command for us. They were going to be the witnesses of Jesus in Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. His witnesses. Peter preached in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. When the church was scattered and persecuted, they went to Samaria to preach the gospel, Acts 8. Philip went to the Ethiopian in the desert and preached to him Christ, Acts 8 also. Peter went to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10 and part of 11, and the, and the Gentiles received the gospel. Some preached Jesus to the Hellenists at Antioch. And so Paul was sought out by Barnabas, and they went to Antioch, and they were there for a year teaching the Gentiles in Acts 11. And Paul went on three missionary journeys to uh, Asia Minor, into Europe, and back again, Acts 13 to 21. Wow. Just like Jesus is giving in this parable. The ongoing witness of the gospel. God has never saved anybody apart from the gospel. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. You want to talk about faith, grace? You got to start back in Genesis. No one found grace. Faith? You got to start with Adam. God said he would give the seed of the woman. A woman would provide a child without the aid of a man. That means faith. I believe what I can't understand. I believe God's revelation. From verse 1 of Genesis on. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's faith. You believe in God's revelation or you reject it. One of the two. Wow. Notice the servants also imply those in the succeeding generations, as we said, going to seek out the lost, obeying that great commission given to us, the believers, pastors, evangelists, so on and so forth. It's interesting, Augustine, the um, Catholic monk, used a, a similar passage that's in Luke, and sometimes people confuse it in Luke 14, 23. They think it's parallel with this parable. It isn't. It's different context. But he used the one in Luke 14, 23 about compelling people from the roads to come in. And he used that to compel people to come back to the Catholic Church even at the point of persecution. How, how wrong is that? And he was one of the greatest church fathers. Amazing to me. 
And he believed that it pleased God. How do you rationalize that? Notice the quality of people would be sinners of every kind and degree. Listen to the words, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. If you have a new King James, the word hall is in italics. It's an honest footnote. It tells you that it's inserted because that's what it implies. So this way you know they've inserted the clear of the text. The word bad, paneras, means evil or wicked. The idea of being not only corrupt in nature, but delighting in making others evil. Some of us were like that before Christ. We laughed at it. You never drank? You never, and you fill in the blank, and we did our best at just, and then we laughed at it. Hmm. This is the same word that is used for Satan in 1 John 5, 19, poneros. Ooh. Then the word good, agathos. It means good in constitution or nature. So the idea of being useful and solitary, a good moral pagan. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. The person being excellent, upright, honorable, but nevertheless fallen by the sin of Adam. Therefore, in need of repentance. Good, bad, both sinners in need of repentance. Wow. If the church would have preached only to the Jews, the church would have never grown. The number of Messianic Jews today are very, very few. Thank God for them. But the majority of the church is Gentile, just like the parable says. First, Christians were Jewish, and they received great persecution. But the further you go out, Paul ends the book of Acts by shaking the dust off his feet to the Jews, says, I'm going to the Gentiles. Wow. The giving up of the nation of Israel in judgment does not mean God is through with Israel and that now the church is spiritual Israel. Pay real close attention to what I'm going to say, okay? This is called replacement theology or supersessionism, okay? Big old words that theologians put. And it's taught by most churches, most universities and Christian universities and seminaries like Azusa Pacific and Fuller Seminary and the majority of churches in Pasadena and other words, that we are the true Israel of God. We now are, have replaced Israel. Wow. This is spiritualizing, allegorizing the scriptures. The favorite verse in the New Testament is Galatians 6.16. Listen. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Context, context, context. The verse only teaches that Christians are spiritually related and one with God, while Israel was rebellious. That's all it's saying. The verse in context doesn't say that. The origin of replacement theology is clear. Most of the men who are seen uh, as the church fathers were previously disciples of Plato, Socrates, and other Greek philosophers, Ignatius, Origen, Justin Martyr, Marcion, John Christendom. You read some of these books yourself. 
they began to teach that we today, what we call today replacement theology, that because the majority of the Jewish people rejected Yahweh, God had rejected them, and now the church was the true Israel or the new Israel of God. They left the curses for the Jews, but took the blessings and promises for the new Israel. Isn't that convenient? The curses they can have, but we take the blessing. How dishonest is that? And these guys have PhD after their name. You might as get one out of a Cracker Jack box. Wow. They got more brains than common sense. They get an F in the subject of Bible. They taught that the Torah was superseded by the New Testament laws. And that the Sabbath, the feasts, and the commandments were now obsolete. This is anti-Semitism. And one of the worst was Augustine. 353 to 407 A.D. from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has always been anti-Semitic. The Pope was aligned with Hitler. The Catholic Church got many of the Nazis out to Mexico and Central and South America. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you don't leave. (laughs) Do your homework. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. God has not through with Israel. Listen to Paul. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, Romans 11, 25 and 27. What do you do with those verses? They just scratch them out. They just ignore them. The fullness of the Gentiles is some total of believers to be saved before the Lord takes his church out of here. Then God will deal with Israel. Daniel 9, 27, the last week of the 70th week. Listen to Daniel. Then he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the 70th week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring in the end of sacrifice and offerings. And on the wings of the abomination shall be one who makes desolation, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Daniel 9, 27. The last week, the seven-year tribulation. Listen to John. Then the woman who uh, fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her. 1,260 days, Revelation 12, 1 and 2. You know what that adds to? Three and a half years. The last three and a half years. City of Petra, Isaiah 16, 1. What do you do with those verses? If I only had one, I can't teach replacement theology. It's heresy. Completely off the wall. Let me finish with James at the first church council. Listen carefully. Acts 15, 13 through 17. And after uh, they had become silent, because they were putting the Gentiles under the circumcision law and all that, and and he says, uh, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's the church. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Israel! 
which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord Yahweh, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord Yahweh, who does all things. During the tribulation, during the millennial kingdom, the Gentile will serve Israel. Why do people not teach this? Amazing. All you young people, you better know God's word. You're dead. I'm telling you. I am just fired up. We're in a bad situation spiritually. Forget your money. Spiritually. The invitation to the Gentiles would be accepted, bringing salvation to all. All? All who repent. Look at 30, 11 through 14. The invitation had a required standard to be honored. The examination of the guests by the king here, 11 and 12, the revelation to the king is the king entered the banquet, but when the king came in to see the guests, the word there came is the era's active, literally having come in, and the moment to view the gathering, not with a critical eye, the word see there means to behold or to look upon. We get our word theater from it. The guests are described as reclining in the tables because they, they, they climb back on one arm and they ate, right? And the king, notice in 11, observed something wrong. He saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. The king was shocked at the sight, the nerve. A man was reclining, not having the proper garment provided for each person. The confrontation of the king in 12, the king approached the man. So he said to him, friend, and by the very tone and the very figure on his face, he knows it's not good. It's like saying, hey, fella. <laughs> The address is a warning against his brashness, an insult to grace by not having the proper garment. The king questions the man, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The question here is that he's questioning his presumptuousness of the man to enter in to this wedding without the proper attire. This presupposes that he had been given the proper garment and he knew it. If he had not been given it, then the king would be unjust. That's not the point here. The point is the man is guilty. The central theme of the parable is the righteousness provided for salvation in and by the person of Jesus Christ. The man was standing in his own righteousness that is insufficient for salvation and to be the bride of Christ. The man could say nothing, and he was speechless. The word speechless means to close the mouth with a muzzle. The passive tense means he was made speechless. The man was reduced to silence, having no excuse, and an admission of guilt, having no defense. When everybody stands before the judgment of God and God says, why did you not accept me? People will be silent. 
have no excuse. None whatsoever, ladies and gentlemen. Look at 13 and 14. The expulsion of the guests by the command of the king is given. The com condemnation of the man was proclaimed by the king. Look at 13. The procedure is described vividly. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot. The man was unfit to be gathered at the wedding feast. Matthew 8, 12. Same word. The man was unfit. Literally, having bound his feet and hands. Listen. As a criminal. Criminals are those who break the law. Rebellious. Think they march at a different tune. Same thing here. The sentence is declared authoritatively. Listen. Take him away. The supreme authority is that of the king. This is an imperative command. The location is described clearly. And cast him into utter darkness. The condition of the location is said to be outer darkness. That infers the furthest regions where there is no Light at all. The absence of light. Where is that? I don't know. This describes a separation from God and the things of God. Listen. For all eternity. This is not purgatory. Okay? There's no such thing as purgatory. Okay? You don't... You know, when I used to go to high school, they called B21. When you were got in trouble, they send you to B21 for that hour and you spent the hour there and then you got to go back to class. No. When you die and you go to hell, you don't come back. You don't get out. All right? Your reservation is made before you leave. Notice. The parable is about salvation. So it is speaking spiritually about the place where all that is present and evil and corrupt is at. No light. This upsets somebody. This may upset some of you. I can't believe that. there's some good people. Not good for nothing. You want to begin with you? You're good? Give me five seconds with you. No way. The affliction is depicted unimaginably. Listen. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The condition of the person by weeping means wailing and lamenting, indicating pain and suffering. The condition of the person by gnashing of teeth describes biting down on your teeth tight, denoting extreme anguish and utter despair. Try to bite your teeth and just see how long you can endure it. That's what it means. Utter darkness is yet fire. How do you have darkness with fire? This phrase is used repeatedly. For the eternal condition of the lost in Gehenna, the lake of fire, the abode of all who reject Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, 42, 24, 51, 25, 30, Luke 13, 28, and other places. Over and over again. Gehenna is made for Satan and his angels, not any person. Matthew 25, 41. Wow. Look at 14. The proclamation of the punchline in the parable is given. 
Salvation is for all sinners, indicating the quantity and totality. Listen, for many are called. God gave his son to die for the whole world, John 3, 16. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours alone, the believer, but the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. Okay? So God, Jesus didn't die for the chosen frozen. Okay? Jesus desires for all Israel to be saved, but he did not force them to not be saved, but rather respected their choice to reject him. Many hear the gospel, but either reject it or do not abide in Christ and return to a life of sin. Notice still in 14, salvation is obtained by few sinners, but few are chosen. Many call, few chosen. The few chosen to salvation is not due to any righteousness of their own that merits salvation, but rather trusting the righteousness of Jesus Christ for their justification before God. He died in my place. He paid for my sin. He justified me on the cross. They were unwilling to come. Remember? They made light of it. They were not worthy. They did not have the wedding garment. Verse 3, 5, 8, 11, 12. They, they, they. God did not predestine them to reject. Are we clear on that, Calvinist? Okay? Choice. The word chosen, eclectos, means that God knows who will receive him, who will accept the gospel by faith, and who will not. He's omniscient, and he has foreknowledge. Every lock has one key to open it. Every safe has one combination. Every door has one key to let you in. There's only one person that can get you into heaven. The doctrine of predestination as taught by Calvinism is unbiblical and makes God unjust. All the prefix of the five points of the tulip are not found in the Bible. The doctrine of depravity of man is biblical, but not the word total depravity in the way they defined it. The doctrine of election is biblical, but not the prefix unconditional election. The doctrine of atonement is biblical, but not the prefix limited atonement. The doctrine of grace is biblical, but not the prefix irresistible grace. The doctrine of perseverance is biblical, but not because you have been predestined and have no free will to accept or reject, but because you abide in Christ Jesus. Are we clear on this? Amazing. The basis for salvation is only the justification of Jesus Christ for sinners. Our righteousness is this filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Let me give you a vivid picture. It's a garment. It's a, it's a, it's a menstrual garment. What you do with that is you throw it away as quick as you can. You don't display it. You don't brag about it. That's my righteousness. Your righteousness. Do you believe that? If you compare yourself among yourself, you won't believe that. You'll think you're better than someone else. And somehow you deserve salvation. Listen, you would fry as well as I if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Wow. What a high privilege. 
God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him, justified in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Galatians 2, 16. And many, many others. Listen to Revelation 19, 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and, and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Grace of God. The scriptures are very clear, ladies and gentlemen, about the only way to be saved. Listen carefully. There is only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the, fire but, to the uh, Father but by me. Not fire, but Father. John 14, 6. In that one statement, Jesus destroyed every ism, every religion, every philosophy, every form of education that promises you how to get to heaven apart from Jesus. That includes the emergent church. The emergent church says you don't have to come through Jesus Christ. Okay? Read Rick Warren's books. McKeon and all the others. They, 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 they're stupid enough to put it in print. Then we should throw it back in their face, right? Be good Bereans. There's no other name whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12, Jesus Christ. One way, one name. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Now, to me it's real clear. There's only one way. To me, salvation is not confusing. I'm bad, God's good, I'm rotten, he's holy. Jesus died in my place and that's the only way I can get in. It's real simple. Men don't like that. People don't like that. Because we live in an age and a culture where they want you to think you're the greatest thing since ice cream. And there's a good and you just got to dig deep down. Listen, the deeper you dig, the worse it gets. The invitation had a required standard to be honored by all. Wow. What a parable. The parable of the marriage feast for the king's son has revealed the Jews' hard-hearted rejection of Jesus as their Messiah, unfolding for us in this threefold movement. The invitation to the nation of Israel was rejected by all. The invitation to the Gentiles would be accepted by all. And the invitation had a required standard to be honored by all. You cannot corrupt God's word, ladies and gentlemen. You must agree with God. If you agree with him, he can forgive you and justify you. If you don't, you're on your own. And that's not good. Not at all. I pray your heart is broken before God. I pray that you see your lostness and your need of Christ every day and that apart from him, you can do absolutely nothing. That he may get the glory, not you. Father, we thank you. We worship you. Thank you for your word and your grace. Deal with our hearts. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you're over the internet, God would have you to repent of your sins. And right where you sit, you can ask him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. 
Lord, cleanse me. I agree that I'm a sinner. Give me a new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.